As we're reading from 2 Corinthians 5 this morning, I wanted to share with you, last week, I don't know if you remember this or not, but uh, if you were here, uh, the Christmas candlelight service, I, I shared kind of, started from the, the point of the cliche, Jesus is the reason for the season. Uh, and I, I wanted to dive deeper than that. I wanted to go beyond the cliche into something. And so I talked about how not only is Jesus the reason for the season, he's the reason for everything. He's the reason we even exist. If he is who he says he is, which obviously he is, um, then he is the creator of the universe. He is fully God. And therefore, uh, Jesus is not just the reason for the season. He's the reason we even have seasons at all. He's the reason that we are able to have breath in our lungs. He's the reason that we live in a world where the sky is blue and the world is beautiful and the mountains are all around us and, and we're able to experience everything he's created for us. So, uh, in keeping with a theme a little bit like that, it's the last Sunday of 2019, and obviously I was reflecting on uh, New Year's Day coming up. New Year's Day is on Wednesday, New Year's Eve, obviously the day before, but um, all of us will have different thoughts on 2019. I don't know what your experience was. For me, and then not only is it the end of the year, it's also the end of a decade. So for Tara and I, it's been an incredibly eventful decade. Anytime you have two kids and get evacuated from a fire, and we got married just the year before that, and pastoring a church for 10 years and seeing everything that goes along with that. I mean, twenty the, the 2010s were um, a, a pretty crazy decade for our family and probably for, for you as well, I'm guessing. But um so in reflecting on that, and I haven't spent a ton of time on reflecting it, but but in the little bit of reflecting that I have done, um, it got me thinking about kicking off the new decade and kicking off the new year as we often do. And what I wanted our church to do for kicking off the new decade. What was our, you know, we haven't set goals yet for the coming year. We usually do that at the AGM. We're going to be praying about that. I have personal goals, obviously. But as I prayed about what I wanted to share this morning, I wanted to discuss this kind of common topic of uh, looking into the new year and being new. And so uh, the, the old cliche you've heard before, and even I've preached it before, which is a new year, new you. <laughs> And I wanted to go beyond the cliche. I want to go deeper than that because it's more than just, uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's a new year, new me, so I'm going to lose weight. <laughs> and then most of us don't. <laughs> uh, we set the, and some people do to their credit. They set the, uh, their, their uh, New Year's resolutions and stick to them or, the, oh, I want to be a nicer person or I want to be more generous or, I don't know, I want to play less video games or watch less TV or whatever resolution people set before them, they, they set that. That's why when you go, every store you go to in the next two weeks, I don't know if you're going shopping, if you go to Kamloops at all, or if you've been to Costco already, uh, all the exercise equipment is out and very much on sale. Because <laughs> everyone's, oh, it's a new year, and i got to lose that Christmas weight and holiday weight, and I, I want it to be a new year and a new me. Well, we have, not because it's a new year do we have a new us. I want to dive deeper than that uh, and talk about the fact that we are not just new at the new year, but we are meant to be new every day. He is. He wants to renew us and sanctify us every day. And so I wanted to talk about a passage that we've all heard before and uh, and dive into it a little deeper this morning. So like I said, 2 Corinthians 5, um, verse 16 on through to the end, and we'll read about being made new. Verse 16, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's a powerful word this morning, and it speaks to both the roles and responsibilities we have, and also the job that we have in the new year. So I want to highlight on that, what it means to be a new creation, because we're not just made a new creation just for our benefit. We are, we are called a new creation. That's our first role, and it's our most important role from uh, from this passage of scripture. It's the highlight verse of this chapter. I didn't want to read the whole chapter because I didn't want to get bogged down in everything else that it says. I wanted to focus on the highlight. And the highlight here is that we're a new creation in Christ. It says here that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That person is a new creation. I, there's a, this new NIV has a different translation. I always memorize it as if anyone is, in, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And they've gotten rid of gendered pronouns in here. And so the, the wording is a little different, but the message is still the same, which is if we are in Christ, we uh, have a calling to be a new creation. Here's the problem with this verse, not the it's not that the verse is a problem, it's that North American Christianity has a problem. And that problem is the new creation looks a whole awful lot like the old creation. As Christians, unfortunately, in North America, we've taken this and we've gone, well, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, but we don't really look at all that new. In fact, we look very much like our old selves. Baptism is meant to be the symbol of this very verse. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is coming. So when we baptize people, we baptize them, meaning symbolizing death, that we've buried our old sinful nature. And when we come up out of the water, that represents that new life, that we are born again. And that symbol of being a new creation is hopefully lived out every day. But if we're honest, we need to get better at it. We need to live as though spiritually we are born again. And if we are a new creation, God is calling us to be different. Once again, I'll bring up Romans 12, 1 and 2, which tells us that we are no longer to conform to the patterns of this world. Our, our spiritual act of worship is to submit ourselves, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And if we're doing that, if we're living that out in a regular and daily way, we are going to be new. We're going to be different. But if we're not doing that on a regular basis, as Romans 12, 1, 2 says, if we're not changed, transformed by re the renewing of our minds, if we're not thinking differently, in other words, if we're not thinking the way Christ thought, if we're not heavenly minded and eternally focused, we're not going to act differently. That's just the nature of physiology and psychology and the way God made us. The way that God made us is he... He made us to have thoughts. He created us to have thoughts and opinions, lots of opinions. If you have the internet, you know what I'm talking about. People have broad and diverse thoughts on every single topic in mankind. And he created us to think. He created us to have minds that are inquisitive, that are questioning. I love looking at my kids and uh, seeing the way that they think and process things. And uh, just just the questions that they ask, I'm always interested. And now my kids are um, interestingly 
um, Adelaide, who's seven, going on, she's seven and a half years old, she's going on eight years old, um, still very much believes that Santa Claus is real. <laughs> and Silas, who's four, almost five, is the realist and is always trying to convince her, Santa's not real. <laughs> Everything that is in your stocking came from mom and dad and they eat the cookies and they wrote the note. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> and I'm always interested in the questions that come out of that. They have inquisitive minds. Children have this natural, I don't know if you've ever been around a kid who learns the why question for the first time. Why? Why? Well, because it is that way. And so if you've ever had a kid ask you why, 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 well, why do you play hockey? Well, because I like it. Why? Well, because it's fun. Why? Because it's good exercise. Why? Well, because it's really hard. Why? Ah! <laughs> if you ever had that experience, well, that, we, we, <laughs> I, we like to squash that, and as a, as a result, when these kids become adults, eventually we beat them down enough, and they don't go, why, why, why? But I, interestingly, it's not God. God doesn't want us to be annoying, but He does want us to be inquisitive. I I don't believe there's anything wrong with the pursuit of science. People like to think that science and religion are diametrically opposed, like they're butting heads. But science and religion, well not, not all religion, but science and Christianity, they're not opposed to each other. They are coming to the same conclusion from opposite directions. And both will end up with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And science isn't going to do that for a long, long time because we don't even know what we don't know yet. You know, it's not that long ago, and there are still some people who believe this, it's not that long ago that we thought the earth was flat, that we assumed that it must be flat until Galileo proved otherwise. And so if we truly, as a race, as a human race, believe that the earth was flat because that's just what science pointed us towards and that's what we believed, well then, therefore, we were wrong and we could be wrong again. And so the science of today will be disproved by the science of tomorrow, but all of that science ultimately can point to, oh my goodness, because when you dive into both the molecular structure of our bodies and the miracle that our bodies are, and then broaden that out to the majesty of the universe, you come to the conclusion that a lot of scientists are coming to, which is someone must have built this because it doesn't make sense otherwise. And that's ultimately, that's, that's the, the science and Christianity pointing towards the same creator. And so the, bringing that all around full circle, I'm not sure how I got off on this tangent. <laughs> Every now and then it happens, I'm sorry. But <laughs> uh, bringing it around to, uh, though, to being a new creation in Christ, we're all called to be inquisitive, to have inquisitive minds, to seek God, and to desire, again, like I said, not just science, but in everything we do, to have hearts that long after God, to have minds that desire to question God. Not that we're, that we're accusing God, but that we are inquisitive, that we desire to look in the Word and be hungry and go, God, why is it that way? It's, it's, not, it's not wrong to challenge God by His Word and say, Lord, what did you mean by that? We know the author. And so God is calling us to have minds that think differently, that don't, that don't just suppress that, don't just suppress those questions, but rather that are diving towards God and seeking Him. And so God desires a mind that's renewed. Uh, God desires a, a mind that is changed and transformed uh, and made new. And when we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the way that we think, we are 
kingdom-minded. We have a kingdom mindset. We are focused on eternity instead of focused on the temporal, on focused on right now. And when we think that way, we act that way. When we think about the eternity that is in heaven and we really truly believe what the word of God says, when Jesus himself said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves and moth and rust can steal and destroy, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When we really live that out, when we think about that on a regular basis, it does affect our time our spending habits, it affects our attitude, it should affect us. It should affect everything we do. And so when we, when we really consider that, when we are transformed, that, that's what draws out that new creation. See, we think of it as, when we think of transformation, we think, boom, it's done. You know, like a transformer. I grew up, well, I don't know if you grew up watching Transformers. And some of them, some, some, they weren't around maybe when some of you were kids, but when I was a kid, Transformers were huge. And so they would be driving around as these cars, and then all of a sudden they'd transform and turn into a, ro- a human robot, humanoid robot. And I love that. And I used to, you know, I used to think of it, Christianity in those terms. So I became a Christian, and all of a sudden I was good. I started going to church. Uh, you know, I, I stopped swearing. I stopped uh, ignoring God. I stopped all the lust, and everything just stopped immediately. But God's process of transformation on earth, his process of sanctification, setting us apart, making us new, doesn't happen instantaneously. Some things happen instantaneously, but as, as I've seen with people that we know really well, in some instances when people get saved and accept Christ, for example, they quit smoking immediately. That's just, they're just done. They accepted Christ and I'm not a smoker anymore. And then other people, God brings them through the process of I'm cleaning you out. And eventually, when the time is right, and we've seen this for people for years have served Christ, and then all of a sudden that moment comes where God is ready to deal with that in their lives. And it's not that it's sin. It's just that God is bringing about that purification, that, that cleansing of, of our, not just our human bodies, but our, our spirit, our soul. And he brings about that obedience and says, we don't, I don't want you to pollute your body like that anymore. And when the time is right, the Lord works in us. That process of sanctification is different in each of us. takes different amounts of times. But our obedience to it will, will hasten that. That setting apart and that new creation coming about. So all of this, we want to allow the new to enter our lives. We need to recognize that the only reason that happens is because we're reconciled to God already. In verse 18 it says, all this is from God. Now all this meaning not just what we just read, not just the new creation, but all of chapter 5, which we didn't even read. It talks about a heavenly dwelling and and, uh, a new body and everything that's possible because of Jesus Christ. And so verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. We are reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. And so we are, that, that reconciliation, that we are brought back into relationship with God. We're brought back together, meaning that before Christ, we are separated from God. But in Christ, we are made one with God again. We are able to have relationship with God again. I think if we thought about sin the way God thinks about sin, we would do it less often. I've often said that before, but we need to recognize that sin is the thing that separates us from God. The reason we need Christ at all, the reason we have communion coming next week, the reason that that we celebrate Easter and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, the reason Jesus needed to die for our sins was because it necessitated 
a sacrifice. Sin required death. That's the punishment. That's the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord because he died for us. He reconciled us to God. And so because of that, we're able to cast off our sin and be holy in the presence of a holy God. Well, we don't, we don't always think of the other side of the equation, which is when we sin, then it does separate us from God when we choose sin. And when we choose sin in our lives, it, it, unfortunately, we, don't, we, we, we like to lessen sin and think of it as you know, less, less significant than it actually is. But when we consider it, it separates us from the God who created us, who loves us, and who wants relationship with us, it, we should take it more seriously, I think. Continuing on, uh, the, the next um, <coughs> role or job we have is that we have uh, a ministry of reconciliation. We, each of you is in ministry. I don't know if you are aware of that or not. At least you're supposed to be. You don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. So continuing on in verses 18 and 19, it says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And so I want to I just focus on that for the coming year and recognize that in the coming year, you have a responsibility to be a new creation. There is some responsibility in that because you're given free will and you get to choose every day to take up your cross or not. So I want to highlight on that and focus on that. <laughs> on being a, a new creation. And the second thing you have is you have a responsibility to be a minister of reconciliation. You have a responsibility with the message of reconciliation and then also to live out that message of reconciliation. We are meant to reconcile people together. And so we are called to share the good news of reconciliation with others. Uh, not that we have to, that we get to. It's a privilege to share Christ with people. We don't think of it that way because people in North America, I don't know if you're aware of this, I was reading, a, I think it was a Barna group research, but it might've been another, it might've been Pew Research, but um, they, were, they were asking, I don't know, if you're a Christian, then you probably believe in evangelism of some sort. And so um, they were asking different generation groups what they thought about evangelism, about sharing Jesus Christ with the people you know and love. And so in, in, the, in the age group, the demographic of, you know, roughly baby boomers and up or Gen X and up, the older generation in the 40s, 50s and up to 90s and 100s, um, they asked that group, do you, do you think that Christians have a responsibility and should share the gospel? And most of them, you know, 80-ish percent, I don't remember what the numbers were, most of them said, yes, we should be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that personal evangelism is, is good. When they asked millennials, my generation and down, what they thought of personal evangelism, less than half of, they're not, they're not asking non-Christians, they're asking Christians, only Christians. When they ask Christians, should you share your faith with people, less than 50% of them, I believe it was about 42, 43%, believe that it was okay to share your faith with someone. Meaning more than 50% of those Christians who are my age and younger thought it was not okay. Not just an imperative, but not okay, not acceptable to share your faith with people. We have a problem if that's the case. Because not only is it necessary, not sorry, not only is it acceptable, it's absolutely necessary 
for the continuation of growth in our church. Now, yes, we may be weeding out, uh, you know, the, the, the decline in church growth and the decline in the size of churches uh, in, a, in a broad sense across North America. Really, all that's doing is weeding out nominal believers who just came to church but didn't really have true faith. That's there's that lots there's been lots of studies about that. That's sad, but it's it's the nature uh, and truth of what's actually going on. But if we are not passionate about sharing Jesus Christ because of what He's done for us, if we don't view sharing our faith as instead of an embarrassment, if we can view it as a privilege and an honor instead, as God views it, He tells us that the the feet of those who share the gospel are blessed. That He blesses even our feet. Understand them, the least dignified part of our body, the part that Jesus washed that because that was the undignified job He washed the disciples' feet. He said those people's feet are blessed when they bring the gospel we are called to have a ministry and message of reconciliation it's quite a simple message it's an incredible message but it's very simple to understand and it's in verse 18 and 19 gave us the ministry of reconciliation and this is what it is in verse 19 that god was reconciling the world to himself in christ and not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us that message of reconciliation. Sometimes I wonder why God does things the way he does things. I don't know if you ever do that, but I definitely do. And one of the things I wonder about the most is I wonder why God chooses to use broken vessels on a regular basis to bring the message of the gospel to people when he should just open up the skies and yell at them. It would be much more effective but he knows that it would he knows the effectiveness of that and he knows exactly what he's doing it's not for me to question even though i i do but what a tremendous message we've been entrusted with that we are then hiding under a lamp that we're trying to take this city this city that's on a hill that cannot be hidden and we're laying tarps over all the lights so that no one will see it because we're embarrassed by it because we're afraid of what people will think of us we tell them what Jesus has done in our lives because we don't want them to reject us as their friends because we're afraid of what the reputation that'll go out about us what if they hear that I'm a Christian that I'm one of those born agains (laughs) what if people find out what I I, I don't I don't know about you but even I feel that way and I'm a pastor people know that it's literally my job to share the gospel and yet I still want them to like me it's a human response But it's an old nature response. It's a sinful nature response. We shouldn't care so much about what people think and we should care far more about what God thinks. And yet in the human element where people, we can see people and we can gauge their reaction when they cringe as we share the gospel, we're afraid of that much more than we're afraid of them going to hell. And the sad truth of that is it's... It's not even just a lack of care. It's just that we're so wrapped up in caring what people think about us that we're, we're neglecting our responsibility to be ministers of reconciliation. Uh, and uh, this is not a, a condemnation or a judgment on you. It's just a challenge to us to remember our job of bringing reconciliation to people, that we are called to reconcile them to God. And that's a tremendous responsibility and a privilege. And I hope that we'll look forward to it in the new year. Our third job is that not only are we ministers of reconciliation, that we're actually Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is an incredibly prestigious role. Uh, and and it's, it's 
often coveted by diplomats. People would like to be the ambassador to different nations. For the most part, I wouldn't want to be an ambassador to Syria. But, you know, if you can be the ambassador to Luxembourg and be uh, courted around and have diplomatic immunity for everything and, you know, speed and not worry about a speeding ticket and every all the honors and privileges that go along with being with heads of state and everything like that. An ambassador is an incredibly important role to nations, and we are also called to be ambassadors. That doesn't mean that we have freedom to speed wherever we want, <laughs> but it does mean that we have a responsibility. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, Paul is talking about himself, and uh, and I believe Timothy and, and others as well, that they are ambassadors of Christ. But each of us has, if we have that ministry of reconciliation, we also have uh, a responsibility as ambassadors of Christ. Now, when we recognize the nature of what an ambassador is, to represent Canada in a foreign nation, that would be the nation of the Canadian ambassador to whatever country we were talking about, and so reflecting that into, the, into um, the spiritual kingdom, we are ambassadors of heaven, that we represent heaven, that, rec that recognizes the fact that we're citizens of heaven, because you can't be the ambassador of Canada if you're not from Canada, if you don't have any citizenship there and you don't belong there. No one would recognize you as the ambassador of Luxembourg to Canada if you weren't from Luxembourg. And so for us as Christians... Uh, we, we are citizens of heaven. We need to reflect that. We need to live like that. So on the flip side of that, if we are citizens of heaven, if we really truly are citizens of heaven, we are representing Christ wherever we go. If people know we're Christians, and again, maybe this factors into the the fact that we keep it a secret sometimes, that we're believers or we don't, or we don't readily show it, because the fact is, Sometimes we're poor representations of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we are not great ambassadors. If you can picture for a moment a Canadian ambassador being overseas in some other country, Egypt or whatever, whatever and going and making a poor representation of what Canadians were like, drinking to excess and embarrassing themselves in public, on all of the local news channels embarrassing Canada. I mean, that would be that would be truly horrifying, and that person would be removed as an ambassador. And it's not just about alcoholism or being drunk or whatever that may be. It, it's about the representation that our country has somewhere else. And as Christians, we are representing Jesus Christ. And we need to carefully consider what kind of report the people of this world are giving back about us. We need to consider what, as we represent Christianity, as we represent Christ and we represent the kingdom of heaven, are we giving an accurate depiction of what that's meant to be like? Think about what it looks like if a person is a poor representative of Jesus Christ and just think about the ramifications of that if we represent Christ in an inaccurate way. If we think of ourselves as Christ's ambassadors, maybe it will make us consider carefully the things that we say and the things that we do. Maybe it'll cause us to be a little more careful in what we say, to be a little more slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. And so uh, we are reconciled to God. We also have the ministry of sharing that reconciliation with others. Uh, I challenge you, just as Paul challenges you, it, I don't know what it, it, 
part of the spectrum you're on, if you are needing to be reconciled with God or if you are you know, reconciled with God and, and God is giving you that ministry of reconciliation, I believe if you're a Christian, you have a ministry to go forth in this year. You're, you're, I want to challenge you uh, that God has a role for you and a responsibility for, this, for you this year. And he's calling you to be a reconciler, to draw people together with one another, to bring healing and restoration of relationships. But most importantly, he's calling all of us to reconcile them with God, to bring the message and the news of, of the gospel to people. And he's made us his ambassadors to do that. He's given us, think of what an ambassador is. It's an official title. He has given us as ambassadors the official title and role and responsibilities and therefore the authority of a representative of heaven. That's our role. That's our job. An ambassador is a job. It's, we, we don't, it's not many people who have that job, but it is a job. There are, uh, there are responsibilities that go along with that job. And if we're given a job, I would like to do that job well. And therefore, since we are called to the job and responsibilities and tasks of an ambassador, let's represent Christ well in 2020. Let's be people who reconcile others with Christ uh, and let's let's grow in that new creation to look more like it in the new year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today, and we ask that you would bless us with uh, with your presence throughout the week ahead. We ask you to challenge us, Lord, in 2020, that as we walk into the new year, Lord, that we would uh, walk into it side by side with you, not fleeing from you, not ignoring you, not just going through the motions, Lord. May we go beyond that beyond just being uh, new uh, in, our, in our human bodies, but may, may we be truly new creations in you, that the old would be gone and the new would be fully here. Lord, help us to grow in that. Help us to be responsible ambassadors and help us to be true ministers of reconciliation that are bold enough to step out in faith and reach out to the people around us and love them with your love, God. Bless us with uh, good fellowship today and a good week ahead, we ask in Jesus' name.